the book of Psalms. Uh, we are in, uh, man, that, that, that font didn't show up. My bad there. Scale the mountain. Uh, worshiping God from the songs of his people. That should be black font. You pointed that out to me, Tycho, this morning, and I did not pay attention. So, uh, yeah. That's a scale the mountain. Don't worry about it. Uh, so uh, we've been walking through the book of Psalms, kind of hitting all these different uh, categories of Psalms and trying to uh, figure out how, what does it look like for us to engage in the songbook of God's people, uh, the prayers of God's people. And, and these are ways in which we can engage with the Lord. And so this morning we're going to be in Psalm 84. Uh, well, uh, I've shared... I'll continue to share these little snippets from our sabbatical uh, over the next year or so, probably, all these little moments where I was like, i got to remember that one. That's a good, that's a good preacher moment there. So, uh, but uh, one of our trips, we took the whole family to Pennsylvania for two weeks, and uh, we had prepped our kids for this for a while, uh, that we were going and there would be no screens or technology for two weeks. Uh, and uh, we, were, we were a little nervous about how it was going to go, but it was awesome. It went really well. And one of the things that we told our kids on the way there and while we were there is we actually want to get you to a place where you get bored. We want you to be bored because in the midst of that boredom, there are opportunities for sparks of creativity. And by the end of our trip, there was this moment of, hey, we've done all the things that we wanted to do, and we're a little bored, and ended up that our kids, uh, Finnegan, had taken a lightsaber choreography class uh, at uh, Cornerstone, which was awesome. So Finnegan uh, had these new lightsabers, and there was an airplane hanger on the property, and so at night, they, went out, they were out there for hours and hours uh, in the afternoon planning out and choreographing this whole scene that I filmed at night uh, where you could really just see the lightsabers. It's super cool. Uh, and it only came because of boredom. Because we, they had reached a place where we had played enough cornhole and croquet that they were like, I need something else to do. And instead of grabbing a device, they had to do this thing. Well, I think we as a culture and we as a people and not just kids, really more us adults, struggle to embrace boredom. We struggle to embrace this because we live distracted lives. We live distracted lives and we don't embrace solitude and silence and boredom, which creates opportunities for creativity, for longing, and for depth. We want to create these deep longing experiences, and yet we run to distracting ourselves. And it leaves us feeling shallow. Well, I think one of the other things that this has done for us is not just eliminating boredom, but it has begun to eliminate the idea of longing. When's the last time you longed for something? Where you really were waiting and yearning for something that you couldn't just get immediately. That you were really longing for something. I want you to imagine that, and it may have been a while since you've experienced that. Or maybe it's something that you immediately think of that you're currently longing for. 
the reality is most of the most important things in our lives are things that we can't quickly find fulfillment for. And we are longing for them. But instead of embracing that longing, we typically just distract ourselves from it. So I want you to think about that longing because that's what we're going to get at in this psalm this morning. Is this idea of longing. The psalm begins... Uh, still not working now. Uh, it's, it's in and out. You got it? Okay. All right, there we go, there we go. See, now you can read this one, so we'll just stay on this. Uh, all right, so the psalm begins this way. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of heaven's armies. I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord. With my whole being, body and soul, I will shout joyfully to the living God. Now, if we're really honest, like this, this is just the intro of this psalm, but if we're really honest, we don't really know what to do with this psalm. Longing. I long, yes, I faint with longing for the courts of the Lord. I mean, I like my Bible, but longing? Charles Spurgeon, in commenting on this passage, says, Every loveliness is not so great to make a longing, nor every longing so great to make a fainting, nor every fainting so great to make the soul faints. Oh, then, consider how great this loveliness is, which makes my soul not only long, but faint with longing. The combo of these words, this how lovely is your dwelling place and this longing uh, causes one commentator to describe this uh, as an almost erotic sense, uh, sentence of longing, which is just so foreign to our experience of God and can make us question, do we even know God? Like, do we talk like this? Do we even know God? You see, the reality is, just as we struggle with boredom, we struggle with longing for a similar reason. Our world is designed, our culture is designed in such a way to eliminate any longing. Right now, if I were to mention anything that, that uh, just sparks some interest in your mind, you could grab your phone and Google it and find all sorts of way more interesting things than what I'm saying. Instantly. Or you could be reminded by something I say that you need, oh, we, we totally need a new toaster. I totally forgot about that. I'm going to go order it on Amazon right now. And it will be at my house tomorrow. We, we want something. We can buy it from our phone. We can get it the next day. And there's no real longing for anything. Now, here's why this can be a problem. This is a great thing for so many reasons. I mean, it's awesome that we can do all those things. And yet, it also can be a problem because what we do in one area of our life sets up practices for other areas of our life. Right? What we do in this area of our life doesn't just affect this area of our life. It is a practice that we then translate into other areas of our lives. So if you cheat in one area of your life, it's going to spill over into others. 
If you are virtuous and generous in one area of your life, it's going to spill over into other areas. So with this, we practice killing boredom and dis- with distraction, and we practice killing longing with instant gratification. And we practice this in every area of our life, and then we come to the Lord, and we're like, I don't long for the Lord. Because we've been practicing instant gratification over and over again, and now we don't know how to long for the Lord. We end up practicing shallow living in one area, and it translates how we interact with others and with God. And then we're surprised that we have shallow relationships with other people and with God. We treat others as transactions or distractions, or instant satisfactions. Transactions, we take and receive. There's no real cost to relationship, just like there's no real cost in ordering something on Amazon quickly and not having to interact with another person to buy anything. Right? I can get what I need without interacting with a human. And then when I have to interact with humans... I treat them in such a way that I want to get what I need without actually interacting with them. They are transactions. And we're really frustrated when humans don't respond like Amazon app. Just give me what I need and don't tell me about your problems. Distractions. We are so distracted that we can't really even interact with one another. We don't really know how to interact with each other all the time. Because we're distracted. Or we use people to distract us from our fearful inner thoughts. People are a distraction from the thing I'm really terrified of, which is silence. Because then the only, thoughts I, the only thing I have is my thoughts. Satisfactions. We see people, we're trying to fill up something deep in us. And the quickest way to get a dopamine hit is the route we will take. We use people for physical or emotional satisfaction without the cost of deep personal investment that requires self-sacrifice. We use people as transactions, distractions, or instant satisfactions because that's what we've been practicing in the rest of our life. And then, once we treat people that way, then we treat God that way. We treat God as a transaction, I do this for you, God. I obeyed you in this way. Now you give me this thing that I want. Even if it's a good thing. That's how we treat it, right? Like I spent time in my Bible this morning. Why am I struggling with sin or doubt in my day? I did the right thing. I gave faithfully to the church. I sacrificed time and money for these things. Why? Is my life hard and did I lose my job? Because we see God as a transaction. I do things for you, you do things for me. We treat God as distractions. We are going to run to something else when it's going to take time. Or uh, We're going to run to something else and distract ourselves rather than spend time with the Lord. Because spending time with the Lord inevitably is going to be inefficient, it's going to feel ineffective, 
And it's going to be frustrating. That's how it works. Because relationships are inefficient, often look ineffective, and are incredibly frustrating. Right? We talk often about uh, the idea of Christianity being relationship and not religion. And then we're frustrated when it's relationship because relationships are hard. We don't actually control the other person. And we certainly cannot control God. Yet we think we can. So rather than engage in those deep, hard things, we'll just do a quick read a verse, snap a picture with my coffee and my Bible so I can post it on Instagram so people know I'm holy, and then distract myself on Instagram. I, no one's ever done that, right? I, I, don't, I don't know anyone that's ever done that. Certainly not myself. So, right, we have this experience of distracting ourselves in this way, and then we're surprised that we have these shallow experiences with God. And then we're looking for instant satisfaction. When my quiet time didn't give me that, next time I don't want to do a quiet time. When that sermon didn't hit the way I needed it to, I'll just find a different church. When that worship song or whatever experience I had isn't working, I'll go find something else that will work. Because I need instant satisfaction in my relationship with God. But here's the thing. We all have experiences in our lives with real and better things. We've all experienced it, right? I know we live in this culture of distraction and we're always engaging in all of this stuff. And yet you know you've had experiences in which you haven't had that and you've experienced something real and it's transforming. Whether it's a conversation, a time with the Lord, or, or some experience that you've had in nature or something where you are like, this is it. And it's better. Now, how do we get to that? How do we build that? How do we naturally talk about the Lord like the psalmist is talking about the Lord? That we're longing, even fainting with longing, to be with the Lord. Well, that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at what does it look like for us to build this? How do we build this? All right, let's read the rest of this psalm. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of heaven's armies. I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord. With my whole being, body and soul, I will shout joyfully to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow builds her nest and raises her young at a place near your altar, O Lord of heaven's armies, my King and my God. What joy for those who can live in your house, always singing your praises. What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who have set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. When they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs. The autumn rains will clothe it with blessings. They will continue to grow stronger, and each of them will appear before God in Jerusalem. O Lord, God of heaven's armies, hear my prayer. Listen, O God of Jacob. Oh, oh, sorry, I hit the wrong button. O God, look with favor upon the king, our shield. Show favor to the one you have anointed. 
A single day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God than live the good life in the homes of the wicked. For the Lord God is our sun and our shield. He gives us grace and glory. The Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. O Lord of heaven's armies, what joy for those who trust in you. All right, so we're going to look at what does it mean for us to build this longing? Well, this, this uh, psalm uh, speaks of a pilgrimage, right? This psalm is looking at what does it look like to take a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to see God in the temple, right? The worshiper wants to go on this pilgrimage to Jerusalem to see where God lives in his temple. Now, that's not our experience here, but we're going to take uh, the similar path of a journey, a pilgrimage towards longing for the Lord. We're going to start with repentance. We're going to move into recognition and receiving. And we're going to end in retreat in the Lord's presence. So we're going to take this pilgrimage from repentance to recognition, receiving, and ending in retreat. So first, repentance. There's two things probably going on in us when we respond to this psalm. One is, as we've been talking about, we don't know how to long for anything. We're used to instant gratification. And that's something that we need to grapple with and repent of. And we're going to talk about what it means for us to build positive habits in the midst of this. So we're going to talk about the, the positive side of this. But we should be honest with ourselves and repent of the ways in which we have treated the Lord and other people as objects of instant gratification. We need to repent of that. We need to turn away from it. The second, uh, the, one of the ways in which this shows up, right, is one of the ancient practices and disciplines of the church is fasting. How often do we fast? I'll be honest, I hate fasting. I, I just have to be honest. I have to repent of that, right? I do not like it. But it is a practice that I think would build for us this kind of longing. This kind of fainting and longing for the Lord. It's a practice that we are not good at as a church. This local body, but also just in general, the church in the West and in America, we're just not good at fasting. It's not something we like to do. We like feasting, right? This is, it's a good thing we don't have to pitch in today. Uh, that was last week. We feasted last week, but we're going to talk about fasting now. But but we need to actually know that if we never deny ourselves of something, it's hard to build longing, which is a result of not experiencing something but wanting something, right? So if we're going to experience that kind of longing for the Lord, we have to learn how to deny ourselves something. So I think we need to repent and build positive practices for sure. But there's actually probably something else going on too. We may actually be longing, but not for the Lord. 84.10 says this, A single day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God than live the good life in the homes of the wicked. Now this word gatekeeper, it, it might mean like a guardian at the door of the temple. It could mean that, uh, but, but it, it's slightly different. Um, in the Hebrew than, than like an official title. It could more be meaning literally begging at the door of the temple. 
like laying down as a beggar at the door of the temple. That could be where the psalmist is getting at. That versus the good life in the homes of the wicked. Do I really believe that? Do I really believe that? Part of the reason we don't experience this longing that the psalmist has is because we actually don't want Jesus. We want the good things that come along with Jesus. We'll take the clear conscience, the forgiveness of sins. We'll take the relationships. We'll take the the lack of feeling the burden of our sin. We'll take those good things. But Jesus is kind of hard. It's kind of hard for us to, to engage in a God who's independent from us and can be frustratingly hard to connect with. It's just easier to get the good things of the Christian life without taking Jesus. Or, better yet, we'll take as much of the good things of this life from the homes of the wicked and just sprinkle in a little Jesus so we're okay. We really are longing for these other things. We really just want the good life now and not the good life later. And so this question, am I wanting to be a gatekeeper in the house of the Lord or live the good life in the homes of the wicked? Now the problem with this is it's really hard to see that because that's really a disposition of our heart. And we're really good at pretending that we're fully in for the Lord and no one else knowing that we're really longing for the things of this world. Secretly, we're longing just to have the things of this world. So often we're actually dealing with our heart, continuing to long for the things of the world and not just for Jesus. And what do we do then? While we no longer love our neighbor, we compete with our neighbor for the things of the world. We no longer sacrifice, but we claw for the good things of this life. And we no longer long for the Lord. We distract ourselves to avoid that pain of knowing that we're actually longing for the things of this world. See, the key to this psalm is actually right here at the end. For the Lord God is our sun and shield. He gives us grace and glory. The Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. Now, wait a second. We read that, and most of us think of Psalm 73 immediately, which we were in a few weeks ago, and like, no, 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 no. No, good things are being withheld, because I see the wicked getting the good things. That's why I don't want to do this anymore. So you're telling me I need to long for the Lord and not the things of this world and He will grant me all good things and then I look around and everyone else has good things and I only suffer. You want me to be a, a gatekeeper, potentially a beggar in the house of the Lord while everyone else gets all the good stuff? This does not seem like a good deal. The wicked are getting all these good things. You see, this psalm is actually so connected to Psalm 73, it's really like the positive spin and reverse of where the psalmist ends after being honest about seeing the wicked prospering and dealing with that with the Lord and being honest. Then he comes here. And if you remember what the psalmist says at the end of that psalm and what the psalmist is doing here is to say, the Lord is communicating to us through the psalms 
He's the good thing. I'm it. The psalmist is saying, I am longing for the Lord, and the Lord will withhold no good thing from those who walk uprightly. What is the good thing? It's the Lord himself. It's Jesus. Jesus is the good thing. He's the one. He is the one that will satisfy our souls. He's the blessing. And so if we're going to repent of longing for the things of the world and actually own what this psalm is saying to us, that the Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right, we need to recognize that the good thing is Jesus himself. And when we recognize that Jesus is the good thing, that's our first step towards longing for the Lord. Recognizing that Jesus is the good thing and repenting of all the other things that we're longing for. All the other ways that we distract ourselves away from longing for the Lord. Repenting of that. Turning from it and saying, I want that good thing. I want Jesus. So repentance is this first step. Secondly, we need to recognize that this very longing for the Lord is already yours in Christ. Recognizing that it's already yours in Christ. We can only repent when we recognize the work of Jesus, right? The only way that we can repent, right? Uh, Romans says that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance, not God's anger. It's not God saying, you are wicked and terrible and I hate you. Now, somebody's probably going to clip that little phrase right there because every time I say something like that, somebody clips that little phrase and it's like, oh, Josh said, God hates you and you're wicked and, and terrible. No, I said, it's not like he says that, <laughs> right? So before you clip that, uh, the reality is, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And we see this in the psalm. Right before this verse, in verse 9, it says, Oh God, look with favor upon the king, our shield. Show favor to the one you have anointed. This word anointed is the word for Messiah. This word is for the Messiah. You see, this pilg pilgrimage, this Hope for Israel, who's singing this song, the ultimate hope was not in the temple, but in something greater than the temple. The reason there's a longing, even as I go into the temple to meet with the Lord, is because there's something greater coming. God's presence and his promise of the one who will come and crush the serpent. From the very beginning, there's a promise of one who is coming, who is greater who will right all the wrongs created by sin and Satan and death. This one that we are longing for. And the psalmist says, God, show favor to the anointed one. The only way in which we're going to experience this is through this Messiah, through Jesus. See, we get a different perspective on this. This passage, right? This passage speaks of a pilgrimage to the courts of the Lord's temple. That's not something we're familiar with. And we don't really know, like, why is, is the psalmist so happy about the temple, right? Even this uh, bird's uh, nest, it, he could literally be talking about birds nesting in between rocks in the temple, right? Like, even birds come to live in your temple. And we're like, we just have no concept for how this works and the importance of the temple because of our position this side of Jesus. But 
we actually get more than the psalmist got. The temple was simply a shadow. We get far more than that. Hebrews chapter 12 says this, You have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind, as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. Okay, so this is speaking about when Moses met with the, uh, when God met with Moses to give the law to the people, right? So this isn't the, the temple right here. We're going to get to that in a second. But the, this experience here is this mountain experience with the Lord, which is what the psalmist is often pointing back to, right? The temple is built upon the mountain, why? Because this is where God met with his people, right? Like this whole thing is very important for how Israel saw their pilgrimage to Jerusalem, how Israel saw meeting with the Lord. And when we hear this, you have not come to this mountain with darkness, gloom, whirlwind, flaming fire. Some of us are like, I'd probably believe a lot better if I saw some flaming fire on a mountain. Like that feels pretty obvious. The point of this is not to say you have less than them. You have more than them. They staggered back under God's command. Even if, if even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and trembling. No, you have come to Mount Zion. Now, Mount Zion is an important feature of the Psalms, right? This is the hope. This is the place of the temple. Mount Zion is different than Mount Sinai, right? Mount Sinai is where the law came. Mount Zion is where the temple is, where Jesus is with his people, where God is with his people. And the author to the book of Hebrews says, as we as Christians come to Jesus, we get that temple experience. You've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in joyful gathering. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven, who have now been made perfect. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance, like the blood of Abel. We have a different perspective because we are connected to Jesus. We have more, not less, than the, pilgrim, the pilgrim going to Jerusalem to meet with God in the temple. We have far more because we have Jesus. If you're a Christian, if you are trusting in Jesus and him alone for salvation, if you're trusting in the work that Jesus did, where God said, I will dwell with my people, I will come physically in the flesh, in the person of my son, and I will come and not just live among you, but I will die for you in your place, paying for the, the punishment that your sins deserve, and then raising from the dead so that any and all who trust in me will have eternal life. If you are banking on that, if you've said, I can't do this on my own, I am not righteous enough to come into the temple, I need someone to be in my place, and Jesus is the one in your place, then you are united with Christ. And you have come not to the physical temple in Jerusalem. Your pilgrimage is to God himself. 
So this longing that we are going to try to experience with the Lord, we have a greater reality available to us. We're not going into the temple saying, I long to meet with the Lord. We're going straight to Jesus because he's come to us. Now, how are we to experience this, right? We recognize that Jesus is the blessing, that Jesus is the one, and that we have this by our union with Christ as Christians. How do we experience this? Well, we experience it by receiving the grace of the Holy Spirit. In the book of John, in this section from John 14 to 17 called the Upper Room Discourse, one of my favorite parts of Scripture. We don't have time to unpack all of that today. Uh, But... There's, there's this incredible thing that Jesus does there. And one of the things he does is he says, it is good for you that I'm going away. Now we as Christians need to wrestle with this because we often think it would be better for us. We would long for Jesus more if we were physically with Jesus. But Jesus says, it's actually better that I go away because I'll give you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is given to Christians, indwelling us, coming in us to grant to us faith and to connect us to Jesus. And here's the crazy thing that happens in this section. There, there, it is shown that there is this mutual indwelling between the persons of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit mutually indwell one another. Meaning, these are like big words, right? Uh, meaning, wherever any one person of the Trinity is, all are present. So you want to connect with Jesus? Well, the Holy Spirit lives in you. Wherever the Holy Spirit is, Jesus is there and the Father is there. Wherever the Father is, Jesus and the Holy Spirit are. They are one. This is the mystery of the Trinity that we hold to, that is dear to us. And what does it have to do with this, though, right? Like, what does that, all that sounds super confusing and mysterious. What does that have to do with this? Well, if Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is mutually indwelled with the Father and the Son, then what we get when we get the Holy Spirit is we get the love of God for God given to us. We don't get our love for God. We get the Holy Spirit's love for the Father and the Son. That's given to us. Jesus says things like, my joy will be in you. We get the joy of Jesus in the Father given to us by the Holy Spirit. So this fainting, this longing that the psalmist is talking about, that we're like, man, it would be awesome to experience God like the psalmist. Or think of the person that you know in your life who experiences God the most. You got that person in mind, in your head? And you're like, man, I would love to just experience Jesus like they do. You have more than that. You have the Holy Spirit. You get to experience Jesus's joy in the Father that's already yours. It's yours. Because you have the Holy Spirit, you are now invited into the fellowship of the Trinity. You get to participate in the love that God has had for the Son and the Father and the Holy Spirit for all eternity. You are invited into that. This is why Jesus says it's way better that I go away because you get that. Now that's mysterious. 
Part of building this longing for the Lord is embracing the mystery of that reality. Embracing this relationship. Embracing this mystery. And oftentimes, one of the reasons that we don't experience some of these things is, you know, in our theological tradition, we don't love the word mystery all that much. We like to be able to, like, lay out the passage and show you from one point to the next and lay it all out and and explain it all. Mystery seems a little squishy. We don't like that. But if you want to experience God, you've got to embrace the mystery. The Holy Spirit dwells in you with the love that Jesus has for his Father in you. And that's yours to have, to receive. That's a grace of the Holy Spirit that you just received. This longing is already yours. So finally, we've repented. We've recognized Christ. We have received the grace of the Holy Spirit, and now we're going to retreat to God. This pilgrimage, where does it end? It ends in the temple. Where does it end for us? Well, Ephesians 2 says this, So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Serena talked about our desire and our mission as a church to be a multi-ethnic, multicultural people. This is why. Because the Gentiles have been brought into the people of Israel, the people of God, as the temple itself. This united, multi-ethnic, multicultural people is the temple of God. And we want more of the temple. It's ours to have. We already have it. We are part of the global church. That global church is the temple of God. So when we retreat to God, we are retreating... And meeting with one another and the Lord. Right? You see how we do this? Sometimes we read this and we instantly are comparing ourselves to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Right? Like, I don't long for the Lord like this person longs for the Lord. We together are the temple. We need to do this thing together. This isn't a competition of who is longing more for the Lord. This is a thing we do together. We are the temple of the Lord. That's why we meet together every week. Not because we're trying to build some empire or some uh, business model of things. It's because we're the temple of God. We want to meet with Jesus. I can't meet with Jesus if I'm unwilling to meet with you. Because we're the temple of the Lord together. I'm going to experience Jesus through you. You're going to experience Jesus through me. And we together are going to retreat to the Lord and experience him. The reality is that you individually, right, have God the Holy Spirit in you. And so you can meet with the Lord. He's very near you. And then we collectively are the temple of God. And so we meet together with the Lord because we are his temple. So you are not far from God. In fact, you are very near. So what does this mean for us? 
I'm going to go back to the same phrase I used my first Sunday back from sabbatical. We need to waste time with God. The only way to build this longing is to waste time with God. It's going to be inefficient in your life. You want to long for Jesus like this? It's not going to be a 12-step process. You do this devotional, then that devotional, then this thing, and then that thing. Those are all good things, but it's not this linear process, this like formula that you put in X and you get out Y, right? Like That's not how this works. You just have to spend time with each other and with the Lord. That's it. Waste time together. We need to start slow, though. Like, you can't go from, I distract myself all day long with all these things to spending an hour in silent prayer with God tomorrow. Like, that would go very poorly for you. I mean, it might go great for, you know, two minutes, and then it's going to go poorly for the next, you know, hour, and then you're never going to do it again, right? It's got to be slow. we got to build it slowly. We have to build habits, Right? It's like if you were to tell me tomorrow, Josh, you're going to run a marathon, I would not do it. I would throw up before the race uh, and then during and then die. I would faint with longing for the end of my life, right? Like I'm not in shape to run a marathon. If you told me I was going to run a marathon in 10 years, I might get there. I might not. But you've got to build habits. It's got to go slow. You've got to build up to it and not... Judge yourself. Starting slow is not bad. you got to take out the shame. So if I spend 30 seconds in silence just asking Jesus to meet with me, that's a win. That's a win. Then tomorrow, 30 seconds. The next day, 30 seconds. A month from now, a minute. Two months from now, five minutes. Right? Like, this is the kind of slow growth. Because we're trying to build longing, not like microwave spirituality so that next week you guys all come back and you're all monks. Like, that's not how this thing works. We're trying to build lifelong devotion to Jesus. we got to build habits like fasting. Habits like denying ourselves and silence and boredom. we got to do this together. And remove the shame and embrace the freedom we have in Jesus. It's okay to mess up. It's okay to not be there. It's okay to take time. And we need to enjoy Jesus and build desperation in our relationship with God. Uh, This summer I read a book from a a guy uh, Sue introduced me to, and I've gotten to know this guy, uh, Kevin Butcher. Uh, He's a pastor. and now he just pastors, pastors. He's a really sweet dude. And uh, this book, uh, it's called Free. It's just super helpful. So I highly recommend this to you. Uh, super, super helpful. Um, but he says this about building desperation. He says, the truth is, without desperation in our love relationship with God, everyone eventually walks away. We might walk 10 steps into lukewarm complacency, 100 yards into discouragement, or five miles into apostasy. But I promise everyone walks, and absolutely no one continues to abide. Without desperation for God, we're going to walk away. How then do we do that? Well, he says it's really simple. We start living with desperation when we get honest about how desperate we really are. 
You want to build longing? Do you have a longing to long for the Lord? Right? Not, not the actual longing, but a longing to have that longing? That's the start of desperation. I want to say what the psalmist says. I want to love Jesus like this guy is talking about. I can't do it. I don't know how. That's the perfect place to start. That's exactly where Jesus shows up. When we are desperate for the Lord, we start with the longing for the longing. That longing for the longing is not a sign that things are not going well. Right? We read this psalm and we think this is A plus spirituality on display. No, this is just a normal dude saying, I need Jesus to help me need Jesus. That's all we got. It's all we've got. Let's stay there. Let's stay in that desperate place, longing for the longing that Jesus wants to grant us. And he will meet us there. It won't be like you want, but it'll be better than you can imagine. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to stand and recite part of this psalm after I pray for us. Jesus, we need you. We need this longing. We need this desperation for you. So Jesus, would you show up by the power of the Holy Spirit and would you transform us that we would long for you? Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, like has been our practice in this sermon series, we're going to stand and, and recite this together. Uh, we're going to recite the first four verses of Psalm 84. So if you guys will stand with me. All right, let's go. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of heaven's armies. I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord. With my whole being, body and soul, I will shout joyfully to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow builds her nest and raises her young at a place near your altar. O Lord of heaven's armies, my King and my God. What joy for those who can live in your house, always singing your praises. Amen. Let's now sing our praises to God.